You're listening to Soundwise Podcast, a show hosted by Alex in Serbia and Vlada in Poland. Each week we cover a different artist or band and engage in an open and spontaneous debate and discussion about specific parts of their discographies. Our goal is to expand our musical horizons and cover a great range of artists and styles. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash soundwisepod and social media at soundwisepod. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Soundrise Podcast. Hello Alex, how are you doing today? Hello Vlada, yes I'm great, looking forward to this. Today we're about to cover a very interesting act, a name that I've known for a long time, but unfortunately I hadn't been very familiar with them until we decided to cover them on our show. Their name is Fleetwood Mac, right Vlada? Yes, Fleetwood Mac, one of the best-selling acts of all time. So one of the most popular groups, one of the most popular bands of all time. But Fleetwood Mac's story is rather interesting because when you say Fleetwood Mac, which lineup do you usually mean? That's a good question. As this band went through a number of different lineups, and you can say with a fair amount of objectivity, that each one of these lineups was basically a separate band. What they had in common, though, was the rhythm section of Fleetwood and Mac, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. So, Alex, did you know about this? No, actually not. But I have to agree with you on the fact that they pretty much have a, a, variety, a variety of sounds which uh, we'll talk about uh, in regards to the albums that we picked for this uh, for this episode and I'm really curious to know if the Fleetwood Mac fan base is ki- is kind of split what do you think I think a, a lot of people are split about them there are people who are exclusively the fans of the early period of the band then there are people a lot of them actually I would say who are exclusively the fans of the more pop-oriented lineup from 1975 and onwards. But there are also those of us, true music fans, who can appreciate all of their extremely talented lineups. So, as a band, Fleetwood Mac was founded in uh, 1967 in London, and they started out as a blues band. Basically, three of their members had a stint with John Mayall's Blues Breakers. Now, those of you who know blues music know what this band meant for British blues. John Mayall was the guy who had Eric Clapton in his band, who had one Mick Taylor that went on to join the Rolling Stones. And the most important thing for this episode, he had one and only Peter Green for a year or two as well. So Peter Green, John McVie, and Mick Fleetwood all played in the Blues Breakers, a highly influential, a fantastic British blues band. But they went on to form their own band, and they decided to call it Fleetwood Mac based on the names of their respective rhythm section, John McVie and Mick Fleetwood. So this early period was characterized by fantastic guitar virtuosity, mostly courtesy of Peter Green, but also thanks to Jeremy Spencer, a phenomenal slide player, and then later on a teenager by the name of Danny Kerwin, 
who is very prominent on the record that we're going to talk about uh, during this show. Now, what's interesting about this first lineup is that Peter Green had all the talent in the world, but unfortunately, due to the extensive drug use, he had severe mental health problems that eventually developed into schizophrenia. So that's a rather sad story. And there's a certain story that now has turned into a legend of sorts, how he and Danny Kerwin lost their mind. Basically, at one point, at the height of its popularity, this lineup went to Germany, to Munich. And there, as soon as they arrived, there was a weird-looking group of hippies waiting on them with a man who wore a long cape and looked like some sort of spiritual guru. Now, what happened was that these people weren't really interested in the entire band, but they dragged Peter and Danny with them to a house where they had a massive party or some kind of spiritual session, and apparently a lot of acid was consumed. And those who were witness to this claimed that Peter and Danny were never the same afterwards, that at that point they took uh, some kind of very potent acid. They act extremely weirdly uh, to the point where other band members were terrified. So eventually, following this uh, incident, Peter Green left the band and Danny stayed for a little longer. Danny was basically the frontman after Peter left because Danny was in many ways Peter's protege. Peter was his mentor. However, Danny was prone to horrible emotional outburst, especially after that incident. And his stint with the band ended very violently, where he started smashing everything in the wardrobe just before the show and started bashing his head against the wall. So a very turbulent history of this band is already present early on. And we will see later on the other lineups weren't much better in that regard. So following these events, the band goes through a series of changes. They bring on Bob Welch, another talented musician who took over after Danny left. But their real commercial success came in 1975 when Mick Fleetwood discovered a Californian duo. So now this very British band all of a sudden becomes very American by bringing in Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are well familiar with these names, these megastars. So what they brought to the band was a more pop sound, beautiful songwriting that was both commercially viable, but also quite profound and inspiring on many levels. And this is where most people know Fleetwood Mac from. So Alexander, have you been familiar with any of these things? The only things that I'm familiar with are certain names, but that story just sounds mind-blowing. I mean, thank you, Lada, for that. It was really fun listening to it. A lot of interesting facts and a lot of depressing stories. Yeah, so let's go to the albums. So, dear listeners, bear in mind that this band has so far released like 18 albums. That's a lot. With numerous lineups and a lot of lineup yeah. changes. So we decided to focus basically on two lineups of the band. The classic Peter Green lineup with Danny Kerwin, as we said, Jeremy Spencer, 
Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. And then the classic, let's call it pop California lineup with Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Christine McVie, John McVie and Mick Fleetwood, of course. So first we will start with the early Mac, the record, then play on their fourth album, a very interesting record. So Alex, can you tell me what did you think of this one? Okay, so first of all, I have to point out the release year, which was 1969, and that absolutely the describes best year the, ever. the best year ever. Sorry for interrupting my young colleague, but 1969 is the best year ever for music, mind you. One of one of my all-time favorite albums was released in 1969. It's a huge year, so that absolutely describes the sound of this record. You can hear that rawness, that unpolished sound. It's really in the in the 60s manner. The album cover also features a nice cartoon, a nice piece of art, which, in my opinion, looks like something, looks like a symbol of freedom. I might be wrong. If we have some... It looks like some kind of religious imagery, like some kind of fresca or something like that, yeah? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, you're right. But when it comes to the sound of this album, from start to finish, plenty of very, very enjoyable tracks, uh, especially the solos, the improvisations, uh, that punchy, sharp guitar sound, the singing. You also have some tracks like... Searching for Madge, where you have laughter in the background, just really quiet sounds of of someone's laughter, which is really cool in a way and really reflects the spontaneousness of this album. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, sorry for interrupting you, but those tracks, Fighting for Madge and uh, the other one, what was it? Uh, Searching, Searching for, for Madge. Madge. Yes, those two are kind of like just improvisational jams and. Uh, very much reflect the spirit of the time where a lot of music weren't afraid to include their jams on the records. And this is what I particularly like about bands like Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. I mean, this album just shows you that they were the real deal back then, that they were up for something special. You know, so many good tracks, Rattlesnake, Shake. Yeah, overall, I'm really impressed all the instruments are cool, the, the bass as well. So, Vlada, do you share the same impression? Uh, yes, definitely. And I think the reason why I wanted us to talk about this record rather than some previous ones was that I feel like here they decided to morph their sound into something unique because they were previously relying on blues a lot. Here we have a lot of blues as well. But there are also added elements of psychedelia. But what I really like about it, it doesn't sound like typical 60s psychedelia. There's something else to it. Like, first of all, they don't overuse any gimmicky effects or anything like that. The playing is, as you said, very raw, very to the point, and yet very immaculately executed. Just fantastic guitar playing. I mean, this is the thing about Peter Green is people usually focus on Eric Clapton as basically the greatest British blues guitar player. But then Peter Green, in some ways, was maybe even above him, I think, uh, which this record really shows. And if Peter Green had stayed healthy, who knows how we would have remembered him. 
he's still a legend, mind you, but uh, I feel that he was so good that he could have had that status that Eric Clapton or Jimmy Page have right now. What really amazes me is that whenever I think of the 60s and this kind of psychedelic, uh, psychedelia and blues rock, I always think of American acts, whereas these guys are from, from, from London, from Great Britain. Well, well, you know, in some ways, British blues, you know, like even Peter Green said, you know, white people just can't play the blues. So the thing about the British blues and why it works so well is that they were not afraid to stretch their sound. Like Led Zeppelin stretched their sound, created something new because they knew they couldn't compete with pure American blues by African-Americans, you know? So I think when it comes to American blues rock acts, they were more rooted in tradition and that's why they were not as exciting as Cream or Fleetwood Mac or... Led Zeppelin or the Yardbirds and so on. So I think that's the crucial difference. What What do you think about that? Well, you're more acquainted with with the blues genre. I don't know. I, I see a lot of blues influence here, but I wouldn't say that this is a blues record, you know, Entirely. which is kind of cool. But it yeah. has a lot of blues songs, right? And it the, all these songs are their own. And there is some added quality. There, There's some playing here that just spiritual it just feels like he's taking it to another level and the notes are so carefully chosen in certain tracks like he never overplays and not just him i mean peter green that's who i'm talking about but also the other guitar players they are all in perfect harmony almost as for the tracks so many highlights here it's hard the whole album basically yeah, yeah, it's hard to choose <laughs> There might be some tracks that seem a bit weaker uh, when you say it's not really that great, but it's still a nice track. It has some irritating la-la-la parts. But other than that, the record seems rather consistent. Of course, the big track here is Oh Well. Oh Well was a classic back then, a huge single, still a classic, I mean. And even performed by later lineups of the band because it was that popular even performed by Lindsey Buckingham later on, I think. But then the, the Green Mahalish is a track that everybody likes talking about because in many ways it was a precursor of what was to happen with Peter Green because this song was about his uh, drug trip. And uh, some people believe that he actually describes his early onset of schizophrenia, but that may not be correct. A wonderful track later on covered by Judas Priest, in a more metal version, but I like the intensity of this original. Uh, it's Peter Green at his best. These clear, sharp guitar notes, very raw sound. Of course, the rhythm section is amazing throughout the record. So Rattlesnake Shake was also a great track, great blues. Then, oh well, there's a second part, which is more, more of an instrumental where he just keeps repeating a certain phrase. And it's, it's very spiritual in that sense, a bit of acoustic guitars. And that's interesting to me that when he goes acoustic, he sounds very well versed in classical guitar too. So just great guitar picking overall. I think you're struggling to find your standout track because the whole album is so good. Yeah, I'll just say the, uh, the Green Mahalishi maybe. 
or oh well but i don't know it's uh also the uh the second track closing my eyes i think that one might be the best just just gorgeous a gorgeous ballad it just just blows me away what's your favorite track here as i said um dear listeners listen to this album from start to finish if i had to pick one track it would be fighting for madge brilliant track absolutely punchy and when it comes to my rating i'm fairly certain that i'll that i'll go back to this album so for now my rating is 8.5 out of 10 and i was really pleased my personal opinion is that you can never go wrong with any 60s act that plays rock music especially from 1969 we all know that so lot of what's your rating uh, i'd say uh, a nine nine out of ten not many flaws here a classic record by all means a record that can stand next to the records by the like of cream uh, the rolling stones led zeppelin but sometimes it gets overlooked unfortunately uh, due to some of these issues that we talked about. So if you're a huge fan of these bands I mentioned, then check out this record. Check out the early Fleetwood Mac. If your only knowledge of Fleetwood Mac comes from their later years, check this one out. Doesn't matter whether the later period band suits you or not, because this is an entirely different act, in my opinion. So yeah, a, a nine from me so we can proceed to the next record and now we're going forward a few years unfortunately we have to skip a lot of great records along the way but we're getting to what is basically a debut record by the so-called pop lineup with Lindsey Buckingham with Stevie Nicks so Alexander how surprising was this transition when you went from this record to the pop oriented Fleetwood Mac Oh, it was obvious. It was absolutely obvious. Bit of a step back, if I may say, for some reason. Um, this is the record that I didn't enjoy as much, but I have to say that I can sense and hear a lot of influence. And I think this is the record that a lot of contemporary, or maybe not contemporary, but from the early th- 2000s, you know, a lot of acts were influenced by these guys. That's my impression. And I think that I would need to listen to this one a bit more. I can see why it is it is so good in, in many people's eyes. What I don't get is that this is the second album that has the name Fleetwood Mac. And they, they probably gave the, the alternative name, the White Album. But it's kind of strange. Have you... Have you ever seen that case with other bands, Lada? I'm pretty sure I have, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But you have to remember what what I also pointed out previously, that this is the new beginning for the band. So perhaps they wanted to market themselves basically as a yeah, yeah, act. Yeah. So I think that's why they chose Fleetwood Mac. And in many ways, they were justified to do that because... In, in, in the consciousness of people in general, this is the Fleetwood Mac that they know, this lineup. So a lot of people might be even surprised to know about Peter Green and about Bob Welch and all these other guys who were previously in the band. So in the collective consciousness, this is Fleetwood Mac. So 
if you look at it that way, it makes perfect sense. As for the record, I have to say that I always enjoyed this record. However, not as much as its successor that we're going to talk about. But I think it's a great start for this lineup. Uh, right from the get-go, you can tell that there's something new, something fresh going on. That sunny California sound. I think uh, the problem with this record, however, is that being that Stevie and Lindsay were new to the band, even though they got a lot of space, I think Christine got more space than two of them. Christine, Christine was a great addition, by the way. And Yeah, yeah, and she's a great musician, too. And by that time, she had already been in the band for a couple of years. But I just feel that here, her material is not quite as strong as Lindsay's and Stevie's. Because by the time you get to song four, you really enjoy the record. But when the song four starts, Rhiannon, you're like, okay, I can just forget about everything that came before because the song is so mind-blowingly good. Just those crystal clear licks by Lindsay and Stevie's vocals and this dramatic tension that the song is imbued with and the mystique, you know, this the song is about a woman who is basically possessed by the spirit of another woman. Uh, some people may say that it's about a witch. And there's been a lot of talk about Stevie Nicks being a witch of sorts. She even guested on American Horror Story and played a witch in that show, if you like that show. So if you if you haven't seen it, check that out. That was a good season. Once that kicks in... You're just mind blown. And then later on, you, you get Landslide, another beautiful collaboration between Stevie and Lindsay. So they completely steal the show. However, I don't want to, un, uh, I don't want to downplay Christine's contributions. I just think that the band was still not quite balanced because they had these newcomers and they were still trying to fit in. So I really enjoyed Christine's Say You Love Me. Uh, and Lindsay had a great guitar work there, great great country-sounding guitar. So, yeah, a really, really good, let's say, in a way, debut record. Very reminiscent of Laurel Canyon stuff, you know, James Taylor and uh, the Eagles and so on. So, Alexander, what's your final verdict on this? I just have to say that I totally agree with you when it comes to that um, sudden switch and surprise you know from the fourth track and all the way to uh to the last track of the album you just hear a lot of surprises positive surprises uh Rhiannon is at the same time my standout track i have to say love the singing there love the music as well christine should have been a bit more uh, prominent here i would say but i can still appreciate her contribution wait, wait. here uh, oh okay okay sorry you got me confused there because christine has the biggest share of the songs here it's just that i feel that her songs are not as strong as others yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's kind of what i meant maybe maybe i used the um the wrong order all right so yeah and towards the end you know there there are a lot of uh good tracks like landslide and i'm so afraid Definitely worth listening oh, to, yeah. but so afraid. Such a great closing track. I forgot to mention that. I think these guys are definitely good at closing their albums with great tracks. 
I think that that is something that defines a great band from a good band, so to say. Do you think that's maybe a strong statement, Vlada? Uh, I think it makes sense, you know, especially being able to create such a such an intense and dramatic closer, you know, and especially the instrumentation there. Everything seems to be in unison and the arrangements are so good, especially in that last track. Uh, the arrangement is absolutely fantastic with uh, again Lindsay stealing the show with his guitar work but Shall we do the ratings now yes yes so let's do the ratings i would say this is um 8.5 out of 10 and your favorite song here my favorite song uh rhiannon i have to say even though i'm so afraid it's kind of close as well as landslide but rhiannon just blows me away every time i hear it Oh, so we have the second episode in a row where we have the favorite track for for an album. The same favorite track. So Rhiannon is also my favorite track, but my rating is a bit lower. Maybe I should give it another shot. So for now, let's go with 7.5. Yes. Okay, now moving on to 1977, uh, the follow-up. And probably one of the most well-known records, and there are two reasons why most why I'm well saying this. Ever, right? Ever. Yeah, like this album cover, I've seen it numerous times on the internet, and also a lot of tracks. You know, even though hadn't been familiar that much with Fleetwood Mac before this episode, but going through the tracks on this record, so many well-known songs. And it kind of sounded boring, uh, you know, for for that reason, uh, just because, I don't know, you've heard it millions of times. Maybe you don't hear it that much nowadays, because, you know, it's it's been like 40 years since, over 40, I, I 40 years since this. where you live, because maybe in certain European countries, you don't get to hear these songs as much. But I think in the U.S. you get to hear them all the freaking time. That's at least what people claim, you know, because this is one of the best-selling records of all time. It sold 40 million copies, 40 million. That's just astounding. Huge, huge, absolutely. I mean, when you when you look at their list of studi- studio albums, almost every album has a lot of awards, you know, great ratings. But this one is probably the number one you have a lot of well-known tracks like don't stop um the chain dreams you know did you find that and did you find it fun to to listen to this record Vlada? well i mean i've listened to this record so many times that i just i can just play it in my head basically and it's such a such a perfectly executed record, so well done, so well arranged, and the songwriting is great throughout. And unlike the previous record where I could say, okay, maybe Christine's songs are a bit weaker and so on, here, all of them shine. Christine, Stevie, Lindsay, as three songwriters, all three of them are absolutely at the top of their game. But now, What's really interesting about this record is the circumstances in which it was recorded. Because, as you know, John McVie and Christine McVie were a married couple. But they were in the process of getting 
a divorce during the recording of this album. And Christine was seeing another man. Some of the songs are actually written about this other man. So imagine having <laughs> to play the bass on the songs dedicated to the man uh, that your wife left you for. I mean, that's very To dramatic. your successor, basically. <laughs> yes. But then, on top of that, Lindsay and Stevie were breaking up too. And apparently they had a very nasty uh, breakup. And you can tell. I mean, a lot of lyrics here are about breaking up, about this failure of a relationship, about the lost trust between lovers. And you can tell that's the atmosphere that basically permeates the whole record. The Chain, in particular, is the song about this, you know. You can sense the anger almost, the frustration in anger in those beautiful voices singing in harmony. And then you have Go Your Own Way, Lindsay's perfect breakup song, where, you know, it's so intense that at the end you have that uh, one, one, one note guitar solo, one note guitar solo. That's absolutely scorching. Amazing. And, yes. And then you have these songs like Oh Daddy or You Make Loving Fun, which are about the new lovers, you know, in Christine's life, the new love. And then you have a beautiful ballad by Christine, one of the best songs the band ever did, Songbird, which is just so plain, a piano ballad, a true classic of that genre. You know, you can put it alongside the stuff that Elton John did, you know, it's that good. So um, this is just so perfect. And there's another detail to make things even worse. Mick Fleetwood was apparently dating Stevie Nicks at the time so can you just imagine the accumulated tensions within the band at the same time they're becoming the biggest act in the world so they can't really break up because no one's going to turn their backs on millions and millions of dollars so what do you think about this wow <laughs> what an astonishing story uh, I, I can just feel the energy and the tension in the studio when playing all these songs that's that kind of energy, and I can't find the appropriate appropriate word now, but you know something that boosts your in inspiration and your dedication, you know, absolutely. But, but I still, I think, I don't know, a lot of a lot of uh, popular tracks here. Sometimes I tend to have a bit of a I don't know, prejudice when it comes to mainstream songs, super mainstream songs. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some Fleetwood Mac listeners will um, torture me after after this episode. But yeah, these are my comments, Vlada. Shall we now do the ratings and uh, our favorite tracks? Or do you have another mind-blowing story for us? Uh, okay, um, but before we, we get on, you know, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, I, I think that you're wrong about this record if you think it's too pop or too commercial or whatever, because I think it's very difficult to find such a distinctive power pop record like this one. I mean, there are so many distinctive songs and not everything is... They, they don't follow any cliches. They don't follow any templates. Like you have a folky never going back again with this fol folky finger picking by Lindsay. Uh, then you have the chain, which sounds like some kind of catharsis, like 
Buckingham and Christine and Stevie singing together a very intense coda with, with Stevie's guitar. Uh, not Stevie's, but uh, Lindsay's guitar. Yes, so there is something about this record that sets it apart and it's it's only popular because the songs are so damn catchy. And, you know, and plus the band had it all. They had the musicianship and they had a good image. Basically with Lindsay and Stevie, they also got the looks, right? So I think that was inevitable for this band to, to be that big. But I wouldn't take that against them. And as for the stories, it's interesting that even recently uh, there was another breakup in the band where Lindsay left the band. Uh, that is, he was kicked out by other members. And apparently Stevie and Lindsay have always had horrible tensions as former lovers. The, the worst story that I heard is that back in 1987, so mind you, listeners, I don't want to sound too confusing, but this lineup broke up a couple of times and then they would reunite and so on because the money was simply that good, right? And uh, in, in I think in 1986 or 7, there was such a huge split among the band members that Lindsay hit Stevie. He pushed her against the hood of his car. It was a horribly violent incident. And yet they did reunite again after that, but now it seems like... They had another acrimonious split followed by a lawsuit. Uh, Mike Campbell from uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers replaced Lindsay in the meantime uh, alongside Craig Finn from Australia. So they had to bring in two people to replace Lindsay. That's how talented Lindsay was and is, still is, of course, as an arranger and a musician. But, you know, Alexander, before we get to the ratings and all, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Who is for you the star of this record? Is it Christine? Is it Stevie? Is it Lindsay? Who is the best one here for you? That's a tough question. <laughs> well, obviously, I would say all of them. But since you asked me for just one of them, or you asked me for you're asking me for a specific member, I would I would go with Lindsay. I would go with Lindsay. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, Lindsay was always the star. But now, after listening to this again, I kind of feel like Stevie is the star. Maybe Lindsay is the main brain behind most of the music. But Stevie's songs are just so incredible. Uh, Rihanna on the previous record. And then Dreams. Here, Dreams is possibly my standout track. That's the kind of ballad where, you know, you listen to it. And it completely immerses you, you know, emotionally, uh, but also the atmosphere that I feel is also partly due to Lindsay's contribution. So I think as a duo, they they were perfect. It's a pity that as human beings, they didn't really get along after that turbulent relationship they had. But yeah, Stevie for me is the main star. If you would, if you were to take away Stevie from this band. I think they just wouldn't have the same kind of appeal. Would still be a good act, but not on that level, I think. There must be a lot of movies about all all their incidents, Vlada. Do you know some? Uh, I think there are some documentaries, but I can't uh, remember the names of them off the top of my head. But it's definitely worth researching. And 
I'm still waiting on a proper feature film, you know. I feel that this story needs to be covered. I mean, if, if Queen got the film, maybe Fleetwood Mac should get one too. What do you think? Absolutely. Yep. No, no doubt about it. All right. So ratings. Uh, I give this one. This is an absolute classic. A really great pop record, rock record. Anyway, you slice it. Uh, the songs are so unique and, and they have a, a unifying sound, but at the same time, they're also distinctive between each other. So I would give this record a nine, even though I was even thinking about 9.5 here because it's just that good. Uh, it definitely deserves all the fame it gets. It's not overhyped. I understand that if people hear it too much on the radio or somewhere else, that they might get a fed up with it. But overall, I think this is the record that deserves all the accolades it gets. And my favorite track, even though Go Your Own Way has always been one of my favorites, and then The Chain and Who Doesn't Like uh, Don't Stop or Gold Dust Woman. But Dreams, I think, is the best track on the record. Not by a long shot. It's, it's only a slight difference in quality between Dreams and some of these other tracks. But if I had to choose one, it would be Dreams. W what's your opinion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely need to listen uh, to this album more. So my rating is 7.5 currently. And my favorite track is Goldust Woman. Ironically, it was written by Stevie Nicks, and she was also the lead, the lead singer here. So, Vlada, I don't think that we have anyone among our listeners that haven't at least heard about this band, but what would your final word be when it comes to Fleetwood Mac? Well, I would urge our listeners, because, okay, we mostly focus on their popular stuff, but I would urge the listeners to check out their pre-Lindsay Stevie catalog, if they're already familiar with Lindsay and Stevie stuff. I think there's a lot of good records in there, uh, like Future Games and uh, Kiln House and the early ones, the early blues records, of course. A lot of, of, a lot of good records there that deserve to be more explored and that deserve more respect because sometimes it feels that these previous lineups are criminally overlooked because of all the success that Lindsay, Stevie, Christine, and others got uh, in later years. So that's that's one of the conclusions. But the other thing is that uh, bands like this shouldn't be taken for granted. Rumors is uh, one of the seminal records of the late seventies. Uh, a great addition to that. Uh, California cocaine-inspired sound. And I think any rock fan should have this record in their collection. So please, this is the band that, we're, that, that is absolutely worth exploring, regardless of the lineup. Okay. Thank you, Vlada, for that. Now, dear listeners, thanks again for tuning in, listening to, to our show. Go check out our social media accounts. They all have the same handle, which is Sunrise Pod, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Also, if you want to support our show, join our beautiful Patreon community. Those guys are amazing. They suggest great bands. They 
give us a lot of constructive feedback. So go to our Patreon page and check out all the tiers and all the benefits that go, that go with them. And finally, um, stay tuned for some interesting interviews that are, that are about to come your way. Now we are giving the microphone to our friends at PodRev Day. Till the next time, all the best and see you in a week. Write a review and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month, of every year, of every century, of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y.